So we're reading Psalm 93 on page 601. Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have been lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. Thank you, Matt, very much indeed for reading that. And great to see you here. My name is Jeremy. Uh, if we haven't already met, massive welcome to you here at Trinity Church, Islington. Do keep that open uh, in front of you. It's on page 601 if you've got that there. And I'm going to pray just as we start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that as we've been singing, your word is um, available to us, it's understandable, and it's true. And I pray, Father, that as we examine your word together so we would uncover your grace which is so available to us this afternoon and i pray father uh, that as you show us your grace so you'd enable us to respond to it to not only process it for ourselves and to know its truth but then respond to it in the way we live our lives and we know we need your help for every stage in that process and we ask father that you give your help by the holy spirit this afternoon and we pray in your name amen Well, back in the day when I was uh, more sort of part of the medical world, then this used to be one of my favorite books. I don't know if you've uh, come across it. There's a picture up on the screen. Uh, it's by a, a doctor, a neurologist, uh, a man called Oliver Sacks. Uh, if you've um, seen the film Awakenings, quite an old film now, that was based on, on an, another book which he read, uh, which he wrote. But this one is called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. And it's a series of case studies, really, of, of people that he met in his medical career uh, who had interesting neurological diseases. And there's one chapter uh, which is called On the Level. And it's about a guy called Mr. McGregor, 93-year-old man. And he, uh, he'd worked as a carpenter uh, in, in his working life. Uh, and he had carpenter, uh, he had Parkinson's disease, and he uh, went to see uh, Oliver Sacks because as he walked along, uh, people had told him that he leaned over to one side. He wasn't aware of that, but it was one of the symptoms of his Parkinson's disease that he, he leant over to one side by about 20 degrees. And the chapter tells a story of how Oliver Sacks talked to him about this particular symptom, and uh, being a carpenter, he came up with an idea. And he said, uh, perhaps I could put a spirit level uh, in the top of my glasses so that as I'm walking along, I can sort of look at the spirit level and it'll help me, um, help me sort of level up. And that's why the chapter is called What It Is. Well, I mention that because uh, we're looking at Psalm 93. And the, the main point of Psalm 93, I love this, is really in the first three words. So uh, if you've got Psalm 93 open in front of you, the first three words really set the theme. The Lord reigns. And it's a message that comes to us through the next few Psalms as well. We're going to be thinking about this over the summer. 
Um, if you have a look over the page to Psalm 97, notice that starts, um, the Lord reigns. And then uh, Psalm 99, across to that on page 603, the Lord reigns. And that's really going to set the theme for us as a church over the summer. Uh, because if I can put it like this, it, it's a message that we're, we're going to need to use to sort of level up our thinking. Like, like, Mr. McGlever, like Mr. McGregor, we'll need to use it as like a spirit level to um, straighten up our, our thinking as Christians. Because we get this bombardment of um, adverts every day. Someone estimated in London you see about 2,000 adverts a day. Maybe it's more now. We've got, got the internet. Uh, all that pressure to do better at work, all that parental guilt that you're not really giving your children what, what, they, what, what you feel they need or what people are telling you they need. There's this constant perma-crisis going on in the news. And uh, our thinking starts to get very tilted, almost unknowingly sometimes. And, and that's why these psalms are going to help us look to the monarch of the universe and, and straighten up our thinking, get our thinking straight, get our heads on the level to remind ourselves who reigns. Although God's people actually could be forgiven for being quite cynical about kings. At the time that these psalms are being put together in the book of Psalms, they could be forgiven for being quite cynical about monarchs. That the monarch that you want is described in Psalm 2, if you know that psalm. Uh, that's a, a perfect king sitting on God's throne, ruling the nations. You'd be mad not to trust a king like that. That's what Psalm 2 says. Um, but the book of Psalms sort of takes that photo fit image of a perfect king and then it sort of tries to match it up with the kings of Israel. And you can imagine they don't come out too well. So um, David, great, probably the greatest king of Israel, he gives in to sin, he has all kinds of doubts, gets all kinds of things wrong. Solomon, um, his son, has his, has his own struggles. And then as you work through the book of Psalms, really it gets bleaker and bleaker up to this point. And um, as, you, as you finish book three of the Psalms, the Psalms arranged into five different books, really the whole, the whole king thing is finished. You're over with kings by that stage. Uh, God's people are in exile. Uh, the Davidic kingship has sort of got lost. And the whole royal scene has sort of hit the ground curtains for the kingship, so to speak. That was Psalm 89. That's just four psalms ago, okay, as we travel through the book of Psalms. And then just Psalm 90 just gives this glimmer of hope. If you turn back a page, uh, book four, you see, we turn the corner, just a glimmer of hope, the beginning of a reset. And if you look under the title there, it says, a prayer of, the, of Moses, the man of God. And Psalm 90 sort of pushes us back to to the basics and says, well, let's go all the way back to Moses. And then by Psalm 93, we've gone back further still. We've gone right back to basics, to the beginning of it all, and, and, and that's that God is the king, and we're going to start again from there, okay? The Lord reigns, that's the point. That's ground zero for the believer. So we're going to look at Psalm 93 under three summary statements. And the first one's this from verses 1 and 2. You'll see it up on the screen. The Lord reigns in every location, in every location. 
Um, Look down verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 93, back there on page 601. You see, it's like we're in a throne room. Uh, But there's no sort of platinum jubilee celebrations, no tornadoes flying on the top, no corgis or anything like that. Just a very powerful king. Let me read out verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. The Lord reigns. Lord in capital letters, Yahweh. That's the God who makes and keeps promises. A kind of king you'd want to be on the throne. The Lord reigns. He is robed. Literally, he is robed himself in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Literally one word, immovable. Verse 2, your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. Um, King's robes in verse 1. Not just majestic, not just sort of reflecting the trappings of majesty, actually made of majesty. They're manufactured of majesty. Uh, Tom, you're a clothes designer, but I bet you couldn't make a robe out of pure majesty. It's hard to do, isn't it? And then around his, around his waist, it says literally that the Lord's belt is made of strength. It's constructed from power. And it's hard to imagine this in a... Um, in a world, in, in, in a country like ours that has a sort of constitutional monarchy, I mean, Prince Charles, um, um, bless him. Um, but this king has executive power. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? What he says happens. Um, and, and in fact, he's a king who's prepared to fight. Do you notice that? Um, it's as if in his portrait he's wearing these sumptuous sort of velvet robes and then a suit of armor all at the same time. And then what about his dates? Did you have to learn dates of kings and that kind of thing when you were at school? I used to have to do that kind of thing. Normally, um, uh, you, um, you, you, you have to learn when their reign began and when it ended. Um, I'm not very good at remembering numbers. I was asked to leave history age 13 by my teacher. Um, but this reign goes on forever. Can you see that? Forever. It has no start and no finish. You are from all eternity. And, and then the, the kingdom, the location of this king's kingdom, you expect to find some, you know, get out the atlas and find some jaggedy little, or sort of go on Google Maps and find some funny little country where he reigns. The first one just takes your breath away, doesn't it? It says, um, the world is established. You can put away your atlas. Um, this God is for everywhere. No, no borders to his kingdom. No superpower outside of his control. You know, China, India, Russia, America. No countries that he's forgotten. You know, some of the... Did you know there's a country called Comoros? Have I said that right, even? Tuvalu? These are countries that God hasn't forgotten. His reign extends even to the tiny places. His rule is endless, and, and, and it can't be moved. No vulnerability to bankruptcy, invasion, military coups. And there's a stability in his world, a stability from the laws of physics to the, to the laws of morality, what's right and wrong. There's a consistency to the, to the rule of this God because of his worldwide and absolute rule. The Lord reigns in every location, every location. 
And, and in a sense, that makes us think, doesn't it? I found that quite challenging. Um, because we need to ask ourselves whether we've really acknowledged that in, in our lives. Um, this Lord rules in every location, at every point in our lives. And, and we can live our lives in sort of watertight compartments. I was reading a, a, a diary that someone famous had written and had been published. And they said that they lived their life in watertight compartments. And, and we can... We can do the same. And, and there's a danger that we say compartmentalize our lives. We've got different hats we wear, different sort of personas we take on uh, during the week, during the year, that we limit, limit this king's rule over us to one particular area. Do you find that? I find that a little bit. Um, in church, but not in the office. Um, in the small group, but not on social media. Uh, maybe when you're with your Christian friends, but not when you're with your family. The Lord rules over every single one of those areas. And they belong to him. Or maybe we limit God to certain sort of periods of time. Um, I don't know whether you do that. It doesn't take much to see the summer holidays as a sort of um, uh, time off church or time off being a Christian. Do you find that you kind of think, oh, you know, uh, I finished the church year. Um, I think I deserve a couple of months off. Um, uh, I think um, I need a summer break from Christian things, a bit of me time. It's easy to do that, isn't it? I'll pick it up again in September. It'll be fine. God lays claim to every location and every day of your life. And, you, and you know, we need to keep on fixing our eyes on that, like a Mr. McGregor, so that we don't start drifting sideways as Christians. It's terribly easy to do that. Even after you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years, you can do that. The more that we're certain that the Lord reigns, the more we we'll want to live consistently under his rule. That's why we need to look at this. Well, it's possible that you're thinking, you know, that's all very well, but life isn't, isn't always that straightforward. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, sometimes life's very difficult for me. Um, or if you were to travel to Afghanistan, or if you talk to the family of that nine-year-old who was murdered, such an awful story this week in the news. Um, interview someone in the cancer ward uh, down the road at the London Hospital, and it's far from obvious that God is on the throne to them, you say, and, and often to me, if you're someone who's suffering, as you may well be. And, and if that's the way you feel like responding, then come forward with me to verses 3 and 4. And we're giving this the working title, The Lord Reigns Over Every Enemy, Over Every Enemy. And, and here in verses 3 and 4, it's like we're down at the beach and the big sort of storm waves are coming in. I grew up not that far from Brighton and you get these massive sort of dumper waves that come in, sort of massive six-foot waves and they just crash against the ground. You can feel them sort of landing on the beach. And um, big waves come in three, so I'm told, uh, by my surfer friends. I haven't got many surfer friends, actually, but um, that's what they say. And, um, and you notice the seas... I mentioned three times. Have a look down at verse 3. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. And those, those waves sort of represent opposition against God and the sort of uh, suffering that comes on God's people. And, and every 
day in our lives and every day on the news, we sort of witness this pounding attack on God's rule. Uh, and um, the suffering that seems to fly in the face of, of God's authority. Uh, it's not just the wildfires in all over the world, isn't it? Not just uh, the wildfires or the floods in America. But, but some, some days we get caught up in the cross-currents, don't we? Um, the suffering comes our way sometimes unexpectedly. You know, the phone call comes um, that we're not expecting and suddenly we're on the floor, you know? And, and the first thing that, that we do often, or the first thing I do is ask the why question. You know, why has this happened to me? Why does this have to happen now? Why does this have to, have, have to happen to the nicest people? And in fact, the book of Psalms does ask the why questions. Um, if you're in any doubt, you can just turn back to Psalm 88. Um, Psalm 88, a couple of pages back, verse 14. Why, Lord, do you reject me? and hide your face from me. There are plenty of psalms who ask, which ask that particular question. It's... But here, back in Psalm 93, notice that we're simply reminded that whatever we go through, the Lord reigns. He's still on the throne. It's, it's not a complete answer, is it? Um, it's not a complete answer, but it is a real one. And sometimes people can say very unhelpful things to you when you're suffering. Um, I know because I've said some of those things. And, um, you know, the platitudes can come out and we say, just keep going, things will be all right, it'll be okay. Um, you're probably learning something important from your suffering at the moment, I imagine. Uh, you'll soon find out. God will soon tell you why, you, why you're going through this. Um, now, some, some people can say Romans 8, 28. Do you know that? I, I, I remember hearing a, a story that stuck in my mind that I once heard in a talk about um, a youth group where uh, there was a teenage girl and they were playing hockey um, and she wasn't wearing a mouth guard and, and all of her teeth were sort of broken by a hockey ball. It's a horrible thing. And um, as she was taken off to... As she was a Christian, as she, as she was taken off to hospital... She said sort of through her broken teeth, Romans 8, 28. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? But we can't always do that. You know, I'm, I'm not always courageous enough to be able to say that. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. Some of us can't say that straight away, and that's understandable. But the Bible in Psalm 93 leaves it here. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Somehow, even though it doesn't feel like it, God is still on the throne, and he's ruling, and he's... His rule is real, and if you can just hold on to that, then there's comfort there, you know. There's comfort there, and it's real. The Lord reigns. That's the take-home message. The Lord reigns in every location. The Lord reigns over every enemy. As we trust those things, and we know that God will one day bring all of that suffering to an end, it sort of straightens up our thinking a little bit. Um... And then the psalm tells us a third thing, just very briefly. The Lord reigns through every word. The Lord reigns through every word that he speaks. And that comes in verse 5. Let me read out that verse to you. Verse 5. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. You know, whatever the, whatever the pounding from God's enemies, then his words are secure. They stand firm. You know, they don't change. They're trustworthy because they're constant. God's word never changes. There's, 
There's some books that you want to buy just for the title, don't you? And, and there's a book about the Bible which is called Truth for All Time. That's a good book, isn't it? And, and it's fitting as we think about God's Word and as the psalmist thinks about God's Word, it makes the writer think about the holiness that goes along with responding to, to God's Word. Um, can you see that in verse 5? Holiness adorns your house for endless days. God's words are sort of engraved in stone. They're, they're not going to change. And as we respond to God's word, so we become holy people. So we become more like him. Whatever the situation in time and space, whatever the situation of attack, godliness still applies. You know, holiness is still in fashion for the Christian. We're thinking about that on Tuesday night. Do you come along to that? Chan's already mentioned that. God's word stands firm and so our, our behavior comes into line you see with his wish we are his temple it says in 1 corinthians chapter 3 and so psalm 93 says the lord reigns he is king what happens then is is so dramatic as the old testament closes uh, the, the kings in David's line have fallen into obscurity uh, in, in Babylon and, and then under Persia and then under the Greek Empire. All the kings get, um, uh, the people in David's line sort of get um, transported to Alexandria um, and, and are largely forgotten. And, um, and the, the Jewish nation becomes independent um, and then comes under the Romans and the country really becomes sort of overseen by priests and that's why when you open the pages of the new testament you have uh, the high priest and you have the pharisees and you have the sadducees and they're really controlling events in in jerusalem and kingly line has been suppressed by them they, they didn't want uh, this promise of david's king to be widely thought about although some people keep on talking about it and then a man turns up and and he he claims to be from David's line. He is from David's line. And he says that he's the king of a kingdom. And then the disciples watch him in a boat, in a storm with the waves raging against him. And what does he do? He speaks words to a storm with royal authority. He says, peace be still. And the disciples, it says, were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And then people gather around the cross in, in Mark 15 where that king has worn a purple robe and he now dies under the title, the King of the Jews. And as Psalm 93 would say, he is the king that rules. He's the one robed in majesty. He's the one who one day people will acknowledge as the lamb on the throne as they sing hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Do you know that? That the Lord God Almighty reigns? That Jesus is God's king with absolute authority? Maybe you're not sure, that's fine. It's great, great to have you here, but please don't leave it there. Because when you come to this king of, of all stability... It gives you an, an, an external source of, 
of, of stability in your life. Can you, can you see that? The world is established, firm and secure. You know, sometimes some of us can sort of tie our emotional well-being to, to some crazy things. You know, um, your football team. You know, some of us feel sort of quite elated when our football team does well, quite depressed when our football team does badly. Um, your, your relationship status, you can tie your stability to that. And one minute, you're absolutely crazy up in the air. And the next minute, you're down on the floor. You know, if you tie your emotional stability to Jesus Christ, then you find a, a certainty and a, and a bedrock stability that nobody else can give. Because he's the king who reigns in eternity. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity, Psalm 5 says. Yeah. Think about the stability that comes from trusting in him. And then challenge your anxiety. Those are the two things that I want you to think about. Find stability, challenge your anxiety. Because all of our anxieties in one sense are, are an attempt to rule the world. But if we can take those anxieties to God and we can trust him to rule the world, then we find that our anxiety is undermined. Our, our worries are, are to some extent taken away. We can take them to the Bible. Your statutes, O Lord, stand firm. And we can know that we will stand as God's holy house for endless days. Let's pray then, shall we? And then there'll be a few moments of silence to think about that some more. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the Lord. You're robed in majesty and that the world is established firm and secure under your good rule. Thank you, Father, that we see that rule expressed in, in the Lord Jesus Christ as he calms the waves, as he shows his absolute power over the forces of evil, as he dies and rises again to show that he is ultimately victorious. And so I pray, Father, that we would find in him great stability. And I pray, Father, that we would challenge our anxiety. Thank you, Father, that he is the king that we're looking for. He is the king in whom it would be mad not to trust. And so I pray, Father, that you would give us the submission to his rule, which will give us lives of fulfillment and peace. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.